exact right amount. Uh, before I forget, we've got to deal with the important stuff first this morning. There's a small bag of peppers on the front table. First come, first serve, no fighting. You are allowed to do rock, paper, scissors if it's a tie, uh, if you want to. I would say that I've brought the first fruits to the house of the Lord, but I ate a jalapeno last week, so um, that would be a lie. It's, it's the second fruits. Yeah. Uh, there are a small number of jalapenos and two or one, I can't remember, uh, New Mexico chilies that are about that long. That they say are hotter than jalapenos, but the one that, that I... Oh, that's, we ate one of those too, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't, so I don't know. We'll see. You can, but you can uh, have those if you'd like. Again, first come, first serve. Uh, you may notice there's something a little different going on this morning. Uh, there's nobody sitting in a, in a stool up there with a guitar in their hands. Um, how many of you have preferences? Oh, come on. So you're lying. Everybody's got, everybody's got preferences, right? There's things that you prefer, right? Whether that's, whether that's food or whether that's a style of music. Uh, but we also have, I have, preferences on what we call in America worship. And if I mention, if I say the word worship, a lot of American Christians will immediately think of that's the music part of the service. Um, it can be, certainly. Uh, but worship is really ultimately coming before God and giving Him what is due Him. Ultimately, that's worship. It is uh, being willing to, uh, to submit ourselves to who He is, to Sometimes that means bow down and, and worship. Sometimes it's a bodily position that signifies a heart condition, humility. And so we often think worship is music, and worship certainly can be music, but, but we talk about the worship service, and that really is everything we do. From uh, the way we treat one another as members of the body of Christ, to singing, to praying, to spending time in, in God's Word together. All of that is worship. I've been wanting to do this for a long time and it's never been the right week in this perfect storm this week. Uh, everyone that, that usually plays the guitar is out of town. And so this, I thought, well, that's, this is what I've been wanting to do for a while, so let's do this. Um, throughout the history of the church, uh, people have used uh, a word called liturgy. It really just comes from a, a Greek word that means worship, is all it is. Um, and regardless of what church you may go to, every church has a liturgy. They have an order. We do that here. Some people say, well, I go to a church that doesn't do liturgy. Well, yes, you do. You, you stand up and you sit down, and, and a lot of things happen at the same time every morning. And we do that here, right? We sing some songs. I read some scripture. I pray. We sing some more songs. We spend time in the Word. We pray again. Sometimes we sing again, right? We, we do a liturgy. Um, this morning it may look different. It may not be your preference. But what I want us to do, what I want us to think about is, am I enjoying my time here this hour because it's what I like to do? Or am I really coming to worship God? Because ultimately that's, that's our goal is when we gather, is, is that we worship our Heavenly Father. We bring Him honor and glory and praise. 
even if it's not my favorite thing to do, even if, you know, I really like that kind of music. Um, spent a lot of my formative years becoming, as, as I became a Christian, uh, and as I grew through college and then the first nine years after college, um, in churches that did music a lot like the way we do music, what we might call contemporary, though we do some hymns as well. Uh, one of those churches had a, a praise band, lots of people on stage, lots of instruments, uh, kind of loud. And I, and I like that for the most part. But then we, we moved to a small town and spent six years with uh, an organ that the lady played really slow. Now, I love hymns. I mean, I really do. I, I, and we try to mix some in here as well. Um, but it's, it's, I want things a little faster than the way that they played them. But what that taught me is, I mean, I had to make a decision. Am I going to complain? Am I going to say I don't like this? Or am I going to come every Sunday morning and worship? Am I going to think about the words that I sing? And they gave us plenty of time to think about it because it was really slow. <laughs> and what I learned is, is, that, is that it taught me how to worship when things weren't according to my preference. Then we moved to Dallas, and I loved the way they did that there. There was actually a, a choir part of the time, and they had lots of instruments. They had brass, plus there was an organ. And they played a wide variety of music from hymns to praise songs, and I loved that. And then we, we show up here, and it's very simple. We usually have just a guitar, sometimes a piano, and we do a mix too, and I, and I love that. But for me, still, it is not how it's done, but... What do the words say? And so this morning I want to encourage you to worship with us, even though it may not be what you expect or what you hope or even what you like. Because the God of the universe is, is worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be worshipped. And we would do well to remember that week in and week out as we come and gather as a body. Throughout the Bible, God calls people to prepare for worship. Um, one example of that is when the nation was assembling themselves uh, after the exodus before Mount Sinai. And we read these words in, in Exodus chapter 19. The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. There's, there's hints of that throughout Scripture that when God is about to show up or does show up, He asks people to, to make ready, to get ready for that. From as, as a, a ritual as this, spending two days consecrating themselves, to as simple as when Moses encountered the burning bush, He said, take off your sandals. There's an act of preparation. We say, but... But aren't things different now? Didn't Christ make things different? Yes. In fact, He did. And we read in Hebrews chapter 12, we read these words as a contrast to what, what happened at Mount Sinai. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire, into darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sounds of words, which sound was such that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. 
If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the great assembly, to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And there's this idea that, that things have changed, but you read through that list and, and you begin to wonder, well, is it, is it better or is it worse? <laughs> I'm coming not just to, to Mount Sinai where God comes down and speaks to Moses and it's kind of frightening because there's lightning and thunder and earthquake and, and there's stipulations, but we come into the very throne room of God Himself. And is that better or is that worse? And it, and it should leave us with this sense of awe and wonder and at the same time fear and trembling. But there is a difference. And we must not forget that before he wrote those words, the writer of Hebrews wrote these words. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, and then these wonderful, marvelous words, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I would like for you to take a moment and prepare your hearts for worship. Not necessarily for a lot of music, though we are going to sing one song together. But prepare your hearts to, to meet God, but also to hear God, as we spend time in His Word in a little bit, as we spend time in prayer, as we spend time in praise of Him, would you take a moment just where you sit and prepare your hearts? Father, we praise You for Your holiness. We praise You for Your justice and Your kindness and Your goodness. We praise You for Your love and Your grace. We praise You for Your sovereignty and Your compassion. We praise You that You have sent redemption to us. You're faithful. You pursue us. God, most of all, we praise You for the gift of Your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God, we confess that we, that we have no ability to come into Your presence other than through His blood, as we read. And so we thank You for that. We praise You for that. We delight in who you are and who you have made us to be through the blood of the cross and through your spirit. But we ask, we plead, continue to conform us into your will. And yet, God, we also confess that at times it's difficult to praise you because life just kind of doesn't seem fair. We struggle because of illness or hurt 
frustration. Things just don't go the way we think they should go. God, help us to see you clearly. Help us to trust you. Despite when things don't look like they should be going the way they're going, you do know what's going on. You are in control. You do know what's best. Help us to be an encouragement to one another so that during those times we can, we can encourage one another to faithfulness, to joy, and to an attitude that brings you honor and glory and praise. Father, thank you that we have an opportunity together as brothers and sisters in Christ. As a body of believers, help us to be the people that you have called us to be. As we relate to each other and as we relate to the world around us, proclaiming your truth, shining your light, showing your love. As we raise our kids, as we love our spouses, as we interact with our neighbors, God, help us to, to trust you when you say it is more blessed to give than to receive. Help us to be a people who gives, to be like you who gave for us. Father, we do look forward to the rest of our time together this morning. We ask that you would encourage us from your word and from one another. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. One of the things that, that praise and thanksgiving should do for us is help us to focus on who God is. But at the same time that that happens, it, it oftentimes and, and maybe should be a reminder of who we are. A reminder of, of ultimately that we're, other than Christ, we're not worthy to be in His presence. And whether that's during that time of preparation or, or, or maybe sometimes afterwards as we, as we gaze on the beauty of Christ reminds us of our shortcomings and our failures. And I would love for us to, to begin to think about what that looks like before we listen to God's Word. Think about confession. Think about repentance. Bo's going to read a, a passage for us this morning from from Psalm 130, as we think about those words, and then we're going to spend a little time in quiet reflection on that and, and, and confession and repentance. And I'll guide us through that in just a moment when Bo finishes reading. Psalm 130. As we contemplate that, the psalmist begins crying out to God to his state, his his position of needing sins forgiven, of knowing there are iniquities. And yet he does that because he says in verse 4, but there is forgiveness with you. And so with that confidence, would you spend some time um, just coming before the Lord and asking Him if there's anything in your heart that He would reveal to you that needs to be confessed? and repented of just where you sit, quietly in your heart. And again, I will uh, pray for us in a moment. We've come before God this morning in confession. May these words be an encouragement to you. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with Him is abundant redemption.
Or as Paul said in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are, um, we are a people who are blessed beyond measure because God has given us His Son. Uh, there's a song I want to sing together. We sang it a couple weeks ago, actually. We have no accompaniment, so you have to sing loud so that you drown out my voice. You're familiar with the, the doxology. And I don't know who started last week. I don't know how that, or two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, you all know this song, right? It's, it's four short lines. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father. are going to continue our time in God's Word this morning. Uh, last week we began briefly a kind of a short Father's Day message on Psalm 78. We're going to continue that so it's still Father's Day. Kids, if you didn't treat your dad nice last week, see, do it again this week, right? Uh, but as I said, it's not just dads who need this. It's really all of us that need this. Um, Linda has a bulletin. There's an outline. If you need one, raise your hand. She'll be happy to give you one, and you can follow along in there. Last week, we looked just at the first three verses, um, and we answered the question, uh, why does the psalmist say, listen? Why does he say, hear? Why is he so adamant about them paying careful attention to what he's about to say? Um, so, real quickly, I want to review what we talked about last week. Uh, we talked about three reasons in those first three verses uh, why it's important for them to listen and to hear. Number one, it's not just a story. What he's going to tell them has meaning. And so, if you're just reading it to get a nice story, you're missing the point. Because while we have lots of nice stories and some not nice stories in, in the Bible... They all point to something else. They're all a story of either who we are or who God is or a combination of both. Number two, the meaning may not be readily apparent. And it's important, so we need to listen, to pay attention, to, to think carefully about what's going on because sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes we read and we go, okay, I understand the story, but what's God trying to say? And sometimes we have to focus. Sometimes we have to spend a little more time than we might ordinarily spend to get it. And then third, we said that the story is well known. The psalmist had said they've heard it before. Right? And when something is well known, there's, there's a tendency for it to become rote or less important. We just kind of go, oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Or maybe another danger is, yeah, you know, I applied that to my life when I was 22 or 16 or 30. But as time goes by, we're different. And that same story may 
lead us to a, a better understanding of God now that I'm 40 or 50 or 60? And so it's important for us to listen, to hear, to pay attention to what God is saying. But there's another reason. There's a, there's a fourth reason we're going to talk about today and then and work our way through that. And that's found in verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> the psalmist says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. See, maybe the most important reason that we need to pay attention, to listen carefully is it's our responsibility, especially as dads, but really as all of God's children, to pass that story on to someone else and to pass it on in a way that they can pass it on to someone else. And say, well, where does God command that? Where do we get that? Well, a lot of you are familiar with Deuteronomy 6. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them, talk of them as you walk by the way, as you lie down, as you rise up. You see, it's, it's not just, here are some rules and get your kids and put them in a chair and, and make sure they know the rules, right? It's when you walk by the way, it's when you lie down, it's when you rise up. It's a way of life. Are you imparting to the people that you love, the truths of this story. As you go through life, day in and day out, as you ride in the car, as you tuck someone you love into bed, as you get up in the morning, is the story of God being played out to the people that, that God has put in your responsibility as a way of life. You know, that can be difficult if you don't know the story well. One of the most important things we get out of this passage is, do I know the story even to pass it on? Have I invested time, even if someone didn't do that for me? If I made a decision, if I said, I'm going to invest time in, in learning the Word now, even though maybe I didn't get it like I should have, this isn't about, let's bash our parents if they didn't give it to us, right? We're big boys and girls. I can make a decision today. I'm going to start learning God's Word. I'm going to start spending time in God's Word. For those of you who, who are young out there, right, there's a lot of you that, that are, are old enough to begin picking this up on a daily basis and not having to depend upon mom and dad or even me or anybody else. But say, I'm, I'm going to learn this so that when, when it comes a point in time when I've got little ones, I know it. Do you spend time in God's Word on a regular, daily basis? It's not complicated, even though it is. On, on the back of your bulletin, there's some questions. I want to I I think about that for a moment. Um, you take any passage of Scripture, and while you can make it as difficult as you want to make it, right? you could learn Greek and Hebrew and you could deal with words, 
But what's wonderful about God's Word is even if you know nothing, you can start out simply by asking a few questions. What does this passage say to me today? As we think about this text, what is it saying to you today? What is it saying? What's God saying? And then the second thing, ask God to reveal or or decide, write down, where am I falling short of what this passage says to me? We don't feel bad about it, beat ourselves up. Oh, I'm a lousy Christian. I... No, just ask yourself the question. Where am I falling short today, here, what this passage says to me? And then, what is something specific that I can do to change that? And write it down. Something specific, not I need to spend more time in God's Word. That's not specific. I, we can't measure that. Specifically, what do you need to do? And then find someone to hold you accountable to that. Because I promise you, I can talk myself out of any resolution that I have made. And I can give myself a good reason why that's okay. And I figure that probably you can do the same thing. That I'm going to do this and then, well, yeah, but, right, we... It's so easy to talk ourselves out of what we have resolved to do. And so we need to ask someone to come alongside us and say, would you ask me how that's going? Because ultimately, it's it's not the church's job to draw you closer to your Father and give you the tools that you need to pass on something. We have responsibility as adults to pass on our faith to our kids. The church is the, is the best place available to help you do that. But whether or not the church is dysfunctional or not, you have a responsibility to pass those things on to your kids. So what do we pass on? What's important? Uh, well, the psalmist gives us a few things in here. Verse 4, he says... Uh, We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generations to come the praises of the Lord. Now, he's he's not necessarily talking about um, how we praise God, though I I think that's an applicable thing to pass on. What are some proper ways to praise God? But he's talking about what are some things that God is worthy to be praised for? And he gives us some general things. Ideas, his strength and his wondrous works that he's done. And I'd ask you to read all of Psalm 78. It's rather long. And from verse 9 to, I forget, 62 or 72, he tells again the story of of Israel from Egypt to the establishment of the Davidic kingdom. And throughout that story, he highlights, if you read it carefully, three interesting things that he highlights about his strength and his wondrous works. First, the miracles that brought them safely out of Egypt. Second, the miracles in the desert that kept them alive despite their whining and complaining and rebellion. And then third, the establishment of that Davidic kingdom which would shepherd and lead the nation forward. So there's this idea as we read that story. Remember, it is a story, but there's meaning behind it. 
that God redeems His people from slavery. And after He redeems them, He protects them and cares for them and shepherds them even if they're not worthy to be cared for and protected and shepherded. And so are you passing on those truths about God to your kids? God is a God who redeems His people and after He redeems them, He doesn't let go of them. He protects them. He cares for them. He loves them. And see, what, what you should be doing is not only passing on the truths of Scripture which show up from beginning to end of God doing that for His people, but also in your life. Because see, the truth that God relates to His people doesn't just stop when Revelation, right? It's carried on with us. Because you've got a story to pass on too. You've got a story of God redeeming you and of God protecting you and of God guiding you and shepherding you. Despite the fact that you often act just like the Israelites act, that I often act just like the Israelites act. Sometimes I whine and complain. Sometimes I rebel. Sometimes I don't want to do what God is telling me to do. And it's important that we don't whitewash all that and, and make our kids think that life is wonderful and everything's always great. Because the authors of Scripture never whitewashed the people of God. It's ugly. People did lousy things. And the reason they tell all those stories is that we can see, oh, there's real human beings that God is pursuing and loving and redeeming despite them. And so, yes, there are, there are age-appropriate things that we tell our kids. There are certain times when we reveal certain faults of ours, but we should never hold ourselves up as, I'm the model example, you should always be like me. And we should always point to Christ, but we should show them that we're human, and that involves confession, and sometimes seeking forgiveness, and showing them how wonderful God is despite us. And how He's worthy to be praised. Because He rescues His people and He cares for them and He protects them. The second thing that, that we need to pass on can be found in verse 7. That they put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. God can be trusted and therefore God should be obeyed. Heard stories of, of soldiers who, who would follow their leader anywhere. Why? Because they trust him, because they know he has their best, best interest at heart. And so, therefore, they'll follow him wherever he goes. Even if it may seem foolish, because they know he has more information and more experience and more knowledge than they do. Well, this doesn't seem right, but he's never let me down yet. I'm going to follow him here, even if it's scary even if it's dangerous. Even if it doesn't make sense. I think it was George Mueller who said, God has never let me down, so if it happens now, it'll be the first time. The idea being, this seems crazy, but okay. And if you know George Mueller, he, 
ended up caring for thousands of orphans in England by faith. Uh, this doesn't make any sense, God, but okay. We come to God obedient because we know His track record. Are you passing along to your kids His track record of faithfulness, which again requires that you know His track record of faithfulness through the pages of Scripture? And then, also, are you passing along His track record of faithfulness in your life? Which again means sometimes sharing the fact that you weren't faithful, but God was. How He's walked you through. Sometimes that even means you're sharing where it looks like God is not faithful now. That's the hard part. I'm struggling. I'm scared. I hurt. But we as a family are going to trust God because He's never let us down yet, even though it looks like maybe He is right now because life doesn't make sense. Are we passing that on as well? Yes, I... I I have doubts, but we're going to take another step forward. We're not going to forsake His church. We're not going to forsake His people. We're not going to forsake spending time in His Word. Because He's been faithful throughout. Even though right now it may not look like it. We read through the pages of Scripture that God accomplishes His purposes despite His people. We read through Psalm 78, we see that over and over again of God pursuing and His people rebelling and God pursuing and His people rebelling. Which leads us to the, to the last thing that we pass on. We pass on the consequences of, of negative examples. Don't be like I was. Or don't be like these people in Scripture. Here's why. Notice what he says in verse 8. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. I want to focus on that phrase, not preparing their heart. It's a phrase that shows up in, in the Old Testament about a dozen times. Twice of God preparing someone's heart. And both times it was when the person or people came to Him in humility, came to Him with nothing to offer, nothing to prove, not bringing something and saying, look what I've got. It was God prepared their heart when they showed up humbly. The other times, when there is context, not like here, when there's context, people prepared their hearts and they did it by either getting rid of idols or getting rid of wickedness. You see, preparing your heart means getting all the stuff out that we love and coming to God and saying, I need you. And so are we passing on, you know, the reason that you're stubborn or the reason that you rebel or the reason that you don't trust God is because you're holding on to something else that you think will meet a need. You've got an idol. And preparing our hearts means we forsake those other things that I value so much that I don't want to let go of. And we come to God humbly. That's preparing our hearts. 
And when people don't do that, it leads to rebellion because we're chasing after something that's not God. And so are we passing on that there are consequences when we have idols in our heart? I'm not talking about pieces of wood and stone, but we all have things that we think give us value, give us importance, make us somebody, elevate us in the eyes of somebody else. Or maybe it's just something that robs you of time with God. That something has become sort of just it overwhelms your time and you say, well, I don't have time for God because well, whatever the because is has become an idol. Because we always have to have time for God. Maybe it's sleep. Maybe it's time on a computer with a TV. It could be a good thing. Maybe it's listening to Christian music, but you do that as opposed to reading your Bible. Maybe it's just spending time with your family. Well, I don't have time because my family's important. Yeah, your family is important, but family can also be an idol if it replaces time with God. And so we've got to pass on, and, and that really gets passed on by experience, by example. Is God a priority in your life? Do you make Him a priority? Do you spend time with Him? Do you spend time in His Word and in prayer? Or does the day just get going and, and you're gone? Well, maybe I'll get to God at lunch. Maybe I'll get to Him tonight. Well, if you're like me, when night comes, <laughs> I'm worn out. I'm ready to go to bed. And if I open up the Bible and start reading it, you know, 1030, it's... I'm not, as He says, listen, O my people, incline your ears. At 1030, it's hard to incline my ear because I want to incline my body. Right? So you begin the day. I know that I don't want to be legalistic. Do you have? Is it required that you start your day in the Bible? Uh, but if you don't, when are you going to? You may be more disciplined than I am. And you may, may be able to carve out a time from 11 to 12 that you hold dear, but I'm not that disciplined. If I don't start that way, sometimes it doesn't happen. And ultimately, if you're not doing that, if you're not setting aside time to spend in His Word, you don't have anything to pass on. Well, your own example's experience, yes, but what is it based on? Where's His foundation? Can you point back to, I do this, people of God did this. I shouldn't do that, because look what happened when they did that. Do you know the story? And not just the stories. Not just can you reiterate the story of, of Abraham. But do you know what God was doing through Abraham? And then even those stories that you may not know. Do you know the story of Hezekiah? It's a marvelous story of faith in God. And then what happens when that kind of wears out? It's a great story of a, a great man of faith and a man that became proud. You know the story of Ezra or Esther or Job? Can you pass those things on to your kids? And if you don't, it's because you probably need to spend more time in here. That's my challenge.
to you today. Is that you would begin the process, if you don't already know, of, of learning God's story. So that you have something to pass on. Either to your kids or to a neighbor or, or someone that God brings along your path that you just that the words of Scripture just kind of flow out. I, I've enjoyed as of late reading some early Christian writers. Uh, we call them the Apostolic Fathers. And what's amazing is is the amount of Scripture that they quote. And I promise they didn't have a computer and were looking up phrases in the, right in an accordance, right? It was stuff that they knew. They knew. It was part of who they were and it came just kind of springing up out of them. I would love for us as a body to be that way, that we were just a, a body that, that God's Word just kind of flowed out of us because we knew it so well. And it was part of life to just pass it on because that's, that's what consumed us. It's what we love. It's what we delighted in, in God's Word. And I'm the first to admit that's easy to say. It's easy to talk about. It's hard to do. It's habits are hard to form if we haven't made them. That's why the writer of Proverbs said, train up a child in the way he will go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it, right? You're in a habit of doing something. You kind of continue to do it. And some of us weren't ever raised in that habit. I wasn't raised in that habit. Spending time in God's Word. It's hard. And that's why we need to evaluate our lives and say, okay, what do I not do? What's one specific thing that I can do and who's going to hold me accountable? Where does that come from? That would be my challenge to you today. As we think through the things we've talked about, what's one thing? Just pick one. Don't, don't overwhelm yourself with, I can't do all of that. Where are you going to start today? Maybe, you're, you're, maybe you spend lots and lots of time in God's Word. There's something in here. One of these things that you tend to not pass on or not talk about or tend to hide. Maybe you, maybe you highlight one thing over another. Ask God, what is one thing that I can begin doing from your Word this week? Be specific. Write it down. Not actually right now, but as over the next day or two as you pray. What's one specific thing I can do? And then ask someone to hold you accountable. You can call me. You can say, would you, next time you see me, would you ask? It'll be two weeks before I see you. But I don't mind doing that. I wouldn't be willing to call you this week. If, if, if you've made a commitment, I want to do this, send me an email. I'll call you this week. We need to be the people of God so that we can be equipped to help a world that doesn't know Him and that desperately needs Him. That's my challenge to you. What from today, what from this passage, from those first eight verses of Psalm 78, is God speaking to you that you need to make a change? And may we do that individually and, and then as a body, bring God glory because we've heard His Word trusted that what he says is good for us and then responded in faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather as a body of believers and worship you and praise your name and come into your presence because of what you have done for us. 
But God, the, the task is beyond us because we're easily distracted. We will walk out these doors and there will be a thousand other things for us to think about. So God, through your Spirit, help us to be faithful people to your Word this week. Give us insight that maybe we don't have. Speak to us clearly through your Spirit that we might be your people. That we might honor you and praise you. How do we love you? And we thank you that you have pursued us and loved us so much that you sent your Son to die for us. So we give you all the honor and glory and praise. And we look forward to seeing what you will do in us as we are faithful. I'm excited to see what you will do in this body as we walk by faith. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.